And so, friends, it is good to see you. It's always really good to see you. Thanks for being here in this new year. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, I just pause and I praise you for your faithfulness. When it comes to your word, whenever you hear it, you are faithful in accomplishing the purpose for which it is sent. And so, Lord, accomplish your purpose in our hearts today. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to start with a question, and the question is here on the screen. If today were your last day on earth, how would you spend it? I consider all the movies that have impending doom as their premise. As your minds are going to that, I think of a movie called The Bucket List, I don't know if anyone remembers this one, Morgan Freeman, uh, Jack Nicholas, and all they do because someone's going to die soon, so they skydive or they see the pyramids or they go on the Great Wall of China. For me, I remember them drinking interesting coffee from interesting coffee beans, if you've seen the movie. Not that I recommend that. Um, another one, a classic that has this as the premise is called Joe versus the Volcano. You Tom Hanks fans, this is a niche one for Tom Hanks. Uh, Meg Ryan, and uh, if he has a brain fog that's going to kill him, might as well jump into a volcano and appease that volcano god, save the islanders. Well, this is a question I pose at starting point, and by the way, starting point's coming up again. Uh, feel free to join us January 17th, and it's one of the icebreakers that we do. And, and, and do you want to know what most amazing love people say? Are you ready? In general, spend time with family. That's a good answer, isn't it? Spend time with family. I'm going to, you know, have a great day with the kids. I'm going to make sure I kiss my spouse. We're, we're going to have a, a good family day if tomorrow we die. But when I think of this question, what comes to mind is the Sistine Chapel. And some of you are might familiar with the top of the Sistine Chapel and God creating Adam, that, that finger touch. But, but what you need to know is this is the altar, so that's the ceiling, this is the altar. This is their focal point in the Sistine Chapel. You see the altar there. And, and who is this and what is happening? This is Jesus in his return. He's coming on the clouds. And he's separating sheep from goats, which is not good people from bad people, but believers from unbelievers. And the question I have, especially if you've been in the Christian circles, it's a really tough one. Are you ready? When's that going to happen? Now, now, some of you have the correct answer, and you're saying, Pastor, we don't know. Good. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. We don't know. In fact, a tip-off for a false prophet, if someone comes in the name of God telling you exactly when he's going to come, that is your first tip-off that you shouldn't trust him. <laughs> because no one knows. Jesus himself, according to his humanity, confessed he didn't know that day. So, number one answer, we don't know. But there is another answer you could say when it comes to Jesus' return. Are you, are you knowing the, the other answer you could say? It comes from the second last verse of the Bible. If you read Revelation, this is the second last verse about that day. And in Revelation 22, it says, Soon. Soon. And every Christian actually should live with the realization of soon. In, in fact, what we know is that the Christians of the first century lived in a way as if Jesus could return soon in their lifetime. And what I would propose to you, I think one of the healthiest ways to live 
is if Jesus were coming in your lifetime. And why do I think that's so healthy? Because it puts things in perspective, right? When I think that Jesus is coming tomorrow, does it really matter if the Bears beat the Packers and Kevin Fields, or, or Justin Fields is the answer, I'm sorry. Does it really matter? If there is no Super Bowl playoffs, like, I don't think it matters as much. If Jesus is coming tomorrow, does it really matter that I caught a Christmas cold and some of my relatives, you know, sharing wasn't caring and now I'm feeling sick? Does it really matter what I'm going to eat for lunch? Does, does it really matter if we have a snowy winter or a mild winter or a cold winter or, you know, some polar vortex again? Does it really matter? See, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, you know what I think is going to matter? That we would, and say it with me if you know it, reach the lost with the love of Christ. Do you get that realization? See, see when we boil everything down... And if we have eternity, because God said eternity in our hearts, if we understand what's coming, what matters is that I know Jesus and I make him known. And it's only when I get my eyes on eternity that that is distilled and I get like this sense like, yeah, that's right. That's, that's true, Pastor. And it leads us to our first fill-in. And we talk about an eternal perspective. And what does an eternal perspective help us do? Keep focus on the main thing. And focus on the main thing, it is so important. It is so important that we do not get distracted, that we do not get into lesser things. We don't have a lot of time. It reminds me of another story, this story of Mary and Martha. And, and if you've been in the Christian circles for a long time, you probably know this story. Uh, Martha was playing host. And I'm wondering, did anyone host for Thanksgiving or Christmas? Who was a host? I, I see a few. And whether you love it or whether you don't love it so much, you know that there's a lot of work in hosting, don't you? You got to get the food. You got to clean the house. Uh, when they get there, you got to make sure that they're well taken care of. And, and Martha was about that business all day long. Like she was in a tizzy trying to get all that right. And so she's getting the preparations right and she's making sure the house is clean. And Jesus, do you need anything? Because Jesus was coming over for dinner. Wow, high stakes. And Martha was doing all of this to the degree that she got frustrated with Mary, who wasn't helping a bit. And Martha even rebuked Jesus, telling Jesus, shouldn't, shouldn't Mary be helping me? Do you remember this? Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Like, Jesus, you're on my side, right? Nope. Do you remember the answer? So Mary was there sitting at Jesus' feet, not helping at all. And Jesus turns to Martha, the busy one, and says these words, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. I wonder how much of this could be said about our American culture. Could, could Jesus come into the American lifestyle and say, hey guys, whew, you're worried and upset about many things. <laughs> but when it comes to life, I want you to know, only a few things are needed, and in fact, only one. He distills it down to one thing, and we know it was what was Mary doing. And Mary was listening to Jesus. Mary was hearing the word. Mary was making sure she was close to Jesus. That today is that one thing needed, the main thing. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. 
And that's what Moses writes about today. So I'm excited to get into the Word of God. And if you brought your Bibles, Psalm 90, you can open up to. And many Bible commentators say that Moses is reaching the end of his life. And I don't know about you, what your experience is, but for some, when you reach the end of your life, you, you start looking at what, what's coming next, and it puts things into focus. A lot of people at the end of their life, they don't want to focus on nonsense, right? The closer you are to the end, or, or as much as you feel the end, you know you don't want to waste time, right? Has anyone had that realization? And so Moses is writing about that. Moses, who is nearing the end of his life, is looking back on it and saying, man, there are a few things that matter. And he writes a lot about the greatness of God. He writes a lot about having God as the constant in his life. He writes a lot about how he's powerful and we should fear him, how he's loving, how he's compassionate. And so we're going to hear Moses at the end of his life talk about his perspective in Psalm 90. Now, it's a long psalm, and sometimes I cut verses. I didn't cut any of them today. So why don't you stay seated, soak it all in. We're going to read 17 verses together, and I hope you enjoy them. So Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us, yes, Establish the work of our hands. Powerful, powerful words we get to pick apart. Uh, Could you say out louder to a neighbor, keep the main thing, the main thing? Keep the main thing, the main thing. Awesome. Thank you so much. So one of the things I recognize as a new year has begun is that you can't keep the world from changing. Right? You can't keep the world from changing. And maybe for you, it's looking about a post-COVID world and seeing all the different changes. Maybe for you, it's like judging inflation versus like wages and how like wages haven't kept up with inflation. And you can feel that, right? Um, but if you want to experience change, one of the biggest changes you can make is moving. Maybe some there would agree with me. And how many of you have ever moved in your lifetime? Raise your hand. I think this is a common experience then. Okay. Well, I remember one particular move. Um, We were moving for our Vicar year. We were going from Wisconsin to Somerville, South Carolina, a suburb of Charleston. And everything was new. Everything was new. So they didn't have winter. Uh, Their food was different. Instead of Italian beef and deep dish, 
They had shrimp and grits and sweet tea. It was pretty good. Uh, They were a culture of manners and hospitality. Yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Yes, sir, and no, sir. Um, There were a lot of different social customs, like uh, college football and NASCAR reigned. They, They didn't have a major, you know, baseball team or a football team, so you picked your college team, hook them horns, um, and your NASCAR driver, and that's just the culture there in Somerville, South Carolina. And because everything was different for us, we looked for a constant to give us some comfort. And so when we drove into Somerville and our family found a Target, we're like, oh, at least it's something we know, right, babe? Target. Or a McDonald's, right? Have you ever gone somewhere new, but you're like, oh, they have one of these. Great. I know this. Awesome. And sometimes life gets so topsy-turvy, you make so many moves that the only constant really is family. And so you put signs up in your home like this, and, and the sign is to remind you that really home, when everything changes, and we've had so many moves, home is wherever I'm with you. What a sweet sentiment, right? The reason I bring this up is because Moses was reflecting on his life and permit a bit of Moses' history, okay? So we're going to put our Bible caps on. And Moses had drastic moves. So starting with the beginning of his life, Moses means drawn out, and it reminds us of how Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of the river. His life was in danger by Pharaoh himself, who had an edict against all the Hebrew baby boys, and so raised in Pharaoh's household for 40 years until... Until he committed murder. And by the way, you should know that one of the greatest men of God was a murderer. And that's not a one-off. And the reason that's important, ready for a tangent teaching, is that no one in the Bible and no one today deserves a pedestal. No one. Only Jesus Christ. He's the only hero in the Christian narrative. There is no one else. All right, so he flees after murder to Midian where he starts a family. And and he's in Midian for another 40 years. So from Egypt to Midian. And then he's called by a burning bush, and God is in the burning bush, to lead God's people out of Egypt through 10 plagues, through the Red Sea. And some of you know that they wandered in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years, he was a nomad, tenting from place to place as they wandered before they took the promised land. So Moses right now has just experienced some wandering in the desert. And Moses has drastic changes, like his life, you know, in in Pharaoh's household versus Midian versus the desert. These are completely different things. But he tells us about his constant. He tells us about his security. And he writes about it in verse 1. In verse 1 he says, Lord, you, you have been my constant. You have been, look at that great terminology, my dwelling place. You're my home. Home is wherever you are, God, and because you are everywhere and I am with you, I am home. And for the life of a believer, as he was approaching death, not even death changes our home, does it? Because our home is with the Lord. But the Christian life on earth is so busy, and it's so hurried, and it's so chalk-filled with other obligations, and opportunities that it actually takes a lot of intention to keep God as my constant. You know, I have this experience where I get to see the, the, the Christians uh, 
kind of season and how they change over time as I walk with people. And what I've never experienced as a pastor is someone calling up the church or texting me and saying, Pastor, today is the day I stop following Jesus. And that might not surprise you. I've never had that conversation. Hey, Pastor, just want to let you know I'm stopping today. And you might know that most Christians would say, I would never do that, right? But here's what I have seen from an observation standpoint. Opportunities, decisions, made without any faith considerations in there. I think of a high school child, and and we can see very clearly, by the way, if college is coming, college is a tip-off point for many to lose the faith. And why? Many kids are said, well, go to the best college and get the best job and and make sure you live where you want to live and follow your heart and do all these things. And none of that's bad. I hope our kids have great jobs and live in places they love. But what I would warn all of us is if we make plans that have nothing to do with our faith life, make plans that have nothing to do with where God is going to be in our lives, warning, because it doesn't take much to fall away. If I choose to move somewhere, but I don't have in mind where my faith is going to be fed, warning, If I choose to go to a college and yet I don't know if they have other Christians or a place where my faith can be fed, warning. If I choose a job that makes no time for Jesus in my life, warning. No one wakes up one day and says, I'm going to stop following Jesus. But what we do is life crowds out the opportunities to keep God as a constant. Which is why one of the reasons I was encouraged this past week is something that happened at Amazing Love. So here in this church, over 100 people were interested in our Bible reading plan. And I I know you can read the Bible apart from our Bible reading plan. And we have right now 50 people who are signed up for that Bible reading plan. And, And let me tell you why this makes my heart so happy. Because I know that as changes come in 2024, and they will come, You're going to have the opportunity for God to be the constant to speak into your life. And when you hear God's word, what are you going to find? God's going to guide you. Don't go there. Go here. God's going to remind you. You don't have to be afraid. 365 days of the year, uh, we, we can hear, do not be afraid. That's how many times it says in the Bible, don't be afraid. 365 times. You're going to be reminded like we were this last week that Jesus is the Savior who is tempted in our place, who is righteous in our place, so that through faith we are considered righteous. Praise God for those who are going to have God as the constant. And there's still time. So if you want to be in that Bible reading plan, still time to sign up. Pastor Jeff and I are there answering questions. It's an awesome opportunity. Please join us. And to keep the main thing the main thing, as I was talking about distractions and opportunities, there is something that I think we could let go of in our world. And what I want to talk about next is letting go of the American dream. Letting go of the American dream. And the American dream has to do with upward mobility and the pursuit of happiness. And I was doing some research about some who have seen that the American dream is dying. Uh, One student in Harvard put it this way about upward mobility, uh, that... uh, if we can go to the next one, Uh, 92% of children born in 1940 had higher household incomes than their parents. 
But babies born in 1980 had only a 50-50 chance of doing better than the previous generation. So what they're seeing is that it's, it's harder to get ahead today. It's harder. It's, it's not a guarantee that you'll be more prosperous than the previous generation. Um, why do we want upward mobility? Usually there's this thought that the more money I have, the more happy I'll be, right? And um, as we dig into that and we see it for what it is, um, many would say, you know, that just ain't working. Pursuing more, more money, more opportunities, more pleasure doesn't actually increase my happiness. In fact, there's this band that I followed when I grew up. I don't know the song too well, but it's called The American Dream is Killing Bean by Green Day. So, so even pop culture is saying the American dream is dead. It's, it's not working. Well, if I haven't convinced you from just, you know, earthly standpoint, Moses shares a passage with us about what life is going to be like. And Moses, looking back on his life, says this, very honestly, our days may come to 70 years or 80. He still has that right, correct? But look what he says. The best of them, the best of them, the best of them are trouble and sorrow. How does what Moses say align with me trying to be happy, happy all the time. Moses says, good luck. Because even on our best days, it's not always happy, happy. There's trouble and there's sorrow. Or what about a culture that says, just follow your heart and do whatever makes you happy? How does that mix with Jesus' command about discipleship? Jesus said this about discipleship, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Does the cross always make me happy? Immediately? Or a final passage. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' goal is not to rebuild this world, but to overcome it. So should our goal be. But here's what I realize as I look into your faces. I don't have to convince you the world is broken. I meet with people and I talk with people who have a stark realization that it's utterly broken because I'm broken and you're broken and the situation is broken. This is the world we live in. And so if that's the case, the word of God is just telling us, so realize that. Don't fight against it. See, this world is a sandcastle that sin smashed. And if our goal is to rebuild the sandcastle a grain at a time, we need to realize the tide is always coming in and will smash it again and again and again. And so better is to learn from Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, as we just celebrated, was his goal tied with the American dream? When Jesus came to earth, he was like, upward mobility, I'm going to do better than my parents. The Son of Man was not a homeowner. Not his goal. Was it pleasure? Was it the pursuit of happiness? No, it culminated in a cross. And yet, he had something better than happiness. He had joy. Remember this passage, Hebrews? For the joy that Jesus had set before me, endured the cross, going to shame. And the joy was your redemption and my redemption. The joy was giving God glory, the Father glory by what he was doing. And by the way, we have better than happiness. I want to upgrade you today. You got joy. 
Joy in the knowledge that you are loved and you are forgiven. And God looks at you as a dearly loved child of his. You have joy knowing that God is by your side right now as your helper. And with him, all things are possible. With him, you can overcome as he has already overcome. There is joy because we know where we're going. We know there is eternal life by his side where joys will have no end. This is yours and this is mine. We have joy. But this eternal perspective, it puts things into balance and it gives us new ideals, new things to focus on. And so then our next fill-in is this. Keep the main thing, not then by pursuing pleasure in a broken world. Again, it's like trying to rebuild a sandcastle with the tide coming in. It's going to get destroyed again and again. But pursue treasure for the coming world. Because if we let go of this ideal, you know what I think we'll have time for? Because when you say yes to something, you say no to something else. Or if you say no to something, then you say yes to something. You know what I think we'll be saying yes to if that isn't our major pursuit? We can say yes to this passage, Matthew chapter 6. We can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And that, by the way, is the reading plan scripture for tomorrow. And Jesus is speaking into a culture where they were running about, thinking about what am I going to eat and, and what I'm going to wear, and, and I better live somewhere nice, right? And Jesus said, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. If you seek me first, all those other things, I got them. Don't worry. Put me first. Keep me the main thing. It'll turn out. You know, C.S. Lewis had a great riff on this. C.S. Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And so something that I love is that in the next coming weeks, we have the opportunity to dream big about what God might do through us through our short moments on life. See, next week that you come, we're going to be starting this new series tied with our vision campaign, and it's called Next Level. And Next Level is all about dreaming big, about how God might continue to grow our church so that we might have even greater impact in our community, greater impact to those that we invite to this place, to dream big about what God might do through us, storing up eternal treasures. And I'm so excited to share that with you. But before we go, two motivations to keep the main thing the main thing. The first motivation is that time is short, and we've been discussing that. And Moses, the way he put it, he has us look at dust. He says, return to dust, saying... Uh, you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. This reminds me of Ash Wednesday coming up on Valentine's Day. We'll make the sign of the cross and say, from dust you are to dust you will return. And it's a realization that as Adam was formed through dust, so we decay and go back to dust. And it's really a short timeline. Uh, Moses also says to, to number our days. And so, um, I don't know if math is your main subject, but I think we should spend a, a little bit of time actually doing the numbering of days because faith is logical, and if we just take a logical approach to numbering our days versus what's coming next, I think it's going to be profound. So, Moses has already given us the kind of medium of how long we're going to live, 75 years. And I didn't want to take eternity, I just want to take a million years. And obviously eternity is like, you know, further than a billion and further than a trillion and whatever comes after a trillion, which I don't know. Um, but something has to, right? 
Anyway, so I'm going to put 75 years into just a million. And so this is our lifetime. And if we do it, you know, a, a million times, how many lifetimes will we have after a million years? Well, the answer, you're going to have 13,333 lifetimes when you hit a million years in heaven and you're still not done. And I love the simple math because the simple math helps me recognize the profound idea that this is a vapor. This is a mist. This is a shadow. I'm not here long. It doesn't even matter if you remember my name. It doesn't even matter what happens with the Bears game. Nothing matters besides knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And so a major motivation. Moses says, keep the main thing because we're going to number our days. And after doing that exercise and keeping that thought in our head, we're going to be reminded we don't have much time. We don't have a lot of time to make an impact. You got one shot. Man lives once and then faces his destiny. But then there's another motivation. Another motivation to keep God as the main thing. And I was thinking about, you know, a, a lifestyle where we could live for a boss. Because in, in, in some of our worlds, our career is a big thing, and, and it means a lot to live for the boss. And, and I was thinking of what it is to, like, live for a boss and try to, like, you know, fear him, you know, walk around eggshells, make sure he's right, compared to living for an almighty God. And the two are just drastically different. For what is the fear of a boss and what he could do compared to the fear of the almighty God? So, so Moses digs in and says, okay, the God you're going to meet when this mere lifetime is done, he says this, if only we knew the power of your anger. Now, if you've been to Amazing Love, you know that I like to say, he loves you more than you know. Moses today is telling you, his anger is more than you know. Now, the great thing is, we have an answer to the cross of Jesus Christ, where the fullness of the wrath of God was satisfied. But make no mistake, we should live for the greatness of God. He is above your boss. He is above anyone or anything that you are pursuing right now. And not only fearing his anger, but also pursuing his favor. So Moses goes on and he says this, May the favor of the Lord rest on us, and if God favors us, if God blesses us, what can't happen? What can't he make possible if God is on your side? Anything. And so another fill-in of why keeping the main thing is this, there is no one greater than our God. And so now let's envision a world where God is our main thing. You know, for the Israelites, what happens is pretty different from their experience. They, they just experienced 40 years in the desert, and soon they were going to experience a drastically new season. As they stuck with the Lord in this generation, in seven years, they would conquer the promised land. They would be prosperous, a land filled with milk and honey. It would be good for them. And that experience was going to eclipse their wandering in the desert. That experience was going to wipe it out. It was going to be like, oh, you're good. And I think Moses writes about this, and he says this. He says, so make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. And we realize that about life, don't we? That there are seasons that are just epitomized by trouble, but then there can be these sweet seasons. 
epitomized by joy and gladness. God can do it on earth. But better in the promise I can make to you, he will do it in heaven. And what the Israelites just experienced is a microcosm of the Christian life. If for the whole of this season, you would just say with Moses, it was trouble and toil. I need to tell you about the next season. The next season far eclipses this one with joy that doesn't end, with a gladness supreme, with perfect love because of our God. To the degree, and maybe in the millionth year, we say, when I look back on the worst of my earthly life, it was just light and momentary. Even the worst of it because I have a glory that far outweighs it all. And that is yours. And it's mine. And the party we have today is a picture of the party we're going to have forever in heaven. So much grander, though. So much better, though. So much more filled with peace and joy that will hit your heart like none other. That's yours. So keep God as your constant. Make sure you store up eternal treasures by making him known because life is short and God, he's even better than we know. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, this is easier to preach than to practice. The world is filled with so many options, even good ones, that turn our attention from you. I pray that we would stay faithful to you. I pray that we would maximize these mere moments for your glory as we seek you first until the day when the fullness of gladness is ours because we will be forever by your side. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Something we love to do then as we've gathered together is encourage one another with a common faith. And if you're not a Christian or just visiting, don't feel obligated. But if you do agree to these words, feel free to join with us in the confession of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
All right, a few family matters. Uh, also, we'll be collecting those connection cards at this time. Um, and if, if you don't get a chance to, to hand it out, feel free to put it in the box on your way out. I have a few announcements, and I think we have a bit of time. So would you bear with me? Just because it's the start of a new ministry year, and there's so many cool things going on. Uh, so one of them is just that our emphasis, maybe got a letter in the mail, of next level. And next Sunday, between the services, you'll have a short presentation of what it's all about. So at 1010 next Sunday, uh, feel free to come back and hear a short presentation about our next level effort that's starting next week. Um, another thing is starting point. If you're new or visiting or if you haven't been in this arena, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's a way to get to know one another, talk about the best of the Bible. Uh, sign up is in the lobby for January 17th, a Wednesday um, and go from there. Two things I also want to pause is I wanted to get interest surveys. So these are interest surveys. Um, we don't have to do them, but I think they're pretty cool. Number one is a youth rally, and we did go to one in Tennessee, but I'm just trying to gain interest on this, and we're trying to look for at least five. It, it's kind of hard just to go for one or, or two, but it, it, five is kind of a golden number that we're trying to see if there's interest for. So if you're interested at all, please let us know in the youth rally. Another one, um, we went to a mission journey to the Ukraine a few years back. That was just an awesome opportunity. We had some here who are part of it. Well, now we have an opportunity to go to London um, for four to eight people. Uh, the goal will be to support our new church uh, in London. We're, we're starting a church there and give them support during their worship services as they kick off, but also do outreach in the form of charitable work. Um, the way uh, to do it is not door-to-door, -door, as it's not even customary anymore in America to do, but rather um, join together in what they're doing for charity and meet people and show the love of Jesus is kind of that emphasis. So again, that's just an interest survey. If you're all interested in either of those, we're trying to garner um, that. Okay, um, that then is all I have. Besides the Bible reading plan, there's still time, um, still, still ways to connect. Yes, please. Awesome. Our friendship Bible study is returning today. Um, so we, we began that in December. We're going to return that today. Uh, friendship Bible study. Um, awesome. Thank you. All right. Now we turn our attention towards prayer. And um, we're just going to kick it off and go straight into the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and so let's join together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.